Remember when the news was pure fact? You do? Well, I have bad news for you. It wasn't. Never was. But the difference between what you remember and what you're seeing now is that the purveyors of the news now don't care that you see their bias. Well, we're biased too. We have a hard, relentless leaning toward the truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your anchor today and every day is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Yeah, we're already a short week. Puts us right in the middle of the week now. We're already to Wednesday. Wow, it's going to be a short week. That means you'll be to the weekend even faster than normally. Well, I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're ready to get some really good information today. There are so many moving parts on planet Earth today regarding very important issues, not just here, but remember this, we tell you almost every day, nothing that happens on planet Earth exists in a vacuum. The only thing I know of that exists in a vacuum is honest-to-goodness truth. Well, there are, therefore, tens of millions of opinions about what's going on around us. Now, there's nothing wrong with opinions. Everybody's got at least one on every issue. But what we must do, especially in this environment that we're living in today, and we're going to talk more about that this morning, we've got some very subjective things to give to you to make you begin to think. I want to come out of this first holiday week of January, the new year. It's a big, important seven days. And I want us to come out on the end of this week all being on the same page regarding the big issues. At least, we don't have to agree with each other on everything. But what we've got to begin to do is find consensus on at least this one thing. We may not agree. You've got your opinion. Mine may be different from yours. But we need to learn to respect each other's right to believe what we each believe. Now, that doesn't mean if you believe in murder being okay that you can go murder somebody. No, that doesn't work. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is who's telling the truth and who's not. Who's giving us facts regarding political matters and who's just politicking, giving us a perspective, calling it the truth that's nothing more than just their opinion. We've got to be able to develop the places we are going to go regarding our values. And I don't know about you, but my values are right down the middle of this nation and its foundation and the tenets of our founding documents and what our forefathers intended. Yeah, we can do that. How can we do that? There are all kinds of writings that our forefathers put together, and they're available in any one of a number of places, if you see something in the Constitution or if you hear somebody quote something in the law and it just doesn't seem right, there are ways to go find out for yourself. And at this point in today's world, it is critical that we each get the facts confirmed by sources we trust and then begin to make our choices. If we don't do that, 
we're going to be in a world of trouble, far more trouble that we find ourselves in today. Well, not trying to start any day on a down note. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm joyous in my heart for a multitude of reasons. I'm a Christian. I believe God the Father. I believe in God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's called the Trinity. And I think Jesus Christ is God's Son and His only Son. And that Jesus came to earth as a man for about 33 and a half years, teaching us the fundamentals, things a little bit different from working and living under the law. You know, those Ten Commandment things? Those didn't work out real well for humans those hundreds and thousands of years they were in existence before the birth of Jesus. God loved us so much. This is, this is from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you believe that, and if you've signed on to that theory and made it a real rule for you, and you trust it every day, it's going to make your days a whole lot easier because then you're never going to feel like you're in an island somewhere on your own. And there's no answers, nobody there to give you answers. And therefore, you're going to be trying to swim perpetually in an ocean of ideology rather than facts. That's where we're headed today. So on the way to get that getting underway, let's just pause for a second. We're in the middle of winter, not technically, but we really are. In South Louisiana, all the way up through the middle of the United States, it's cooler than it normally is at this time. So I kind of like to think about non-cold when it comes to temperatures and our weather. We always have loved in our family to head to the beach and just go someplace warm where we can watch the water, those crystal blue, clear waters, waves sweeping up on a snow-white beach, and it's warm. You can go outside in shorts and a T-shirt and feel comfortable. And what happens every year during that time? Baseball. Baseball season, yeah. Take me out to the ball game. Swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing. Swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing, yeah. Hey baby, do you come here often? Hey baby, now watch your signs. Hold on now, where you go? Next in line. Swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing. Swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing, bada bada swing. Why, yes, I went to Harvard. I majored in pre-made. Just 
championship game coming up Monday night. You should be all in for football right now, Dan. I'm really not. You know why? I don't like either of the teams that are playing in that game Monday night. I've never been a University of Washington fan. I don't know why. Maybe it's Northwest United States. It's almost in Canada. In fact, Canada is only about 45 minutes north of Seattle. That university, by the way, that stadium, they got a really pretty stadium. It's right in downtown Seattle. And then another Yankee team is playing, and that's Michigan. I've never been a big Michigan football fan. Now, both of these teams obviously have really good teams. I mean, you don't get to number one at the level that they're playing at without being really, really good, and they knocked off to some really good teams to get this chance on Monday night. Now, I'm not the only one. I promise you, I'm not the only one that feels this way. You watch the ratings, television ratings, eyeballs on these two teams, Monday night, the national championship game. The ratings are going to be lower. Why is that? No SEC team. No Southeastern Conference team playing in it. Uh, No Big 12 team playing in it. And what does that mean, Dan? Those are really, Big 12's not so much. And uh, Washington's in the, the, uh, what is it, Pac-12? That's the West Coast teams. Pac-10 it used to be. they're, They're from out west and up northwest. Michigan's in the Big 10. That's a well-known, very, very good conference from top to bottom. But there is no college football program as good year in and year out as the teams that come out of the Southeastern Conference. It's just the way it is. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. 
So does that mean that's an excuse to flip over and quit football and just go ahead and go to the spring sport of baseball? No, I like that song. That's Trace Atkins. Trace Atkins. Do you know where Trace Atkins is from? I bet you'll never guess it. He's from Shangaloo. <laughs> where in God's name is Shangaloo? Well, it's real easy to find. It's about 12 miles from Cotton Valley. <laughs> That's northwest Louisiana. My wife, my gorgeous wife, who's listening to the show and does pretty much every day, she's a Cotton Valley native. I didn't even know they don't today, but they used to have a hospital in Cotton Valley. Sean Galoo is just literally up the road. Trace Atkins went to Louisiana Tech, by the way, and he played football. He was a pretty good defensive end. But he's a whole lot better singer than he was a football player, and I'm pretty sure he'll agree that he made a good choice to go from football to country music, and I think every one of you would agree. So let's get right down to it. Lots of things we need to cover. Here's here's why and where I'm operating in the early part of this year regarding what we bring to you from Truth News Network, TNN Live. And that is, we want you to begin to concentrate and create an environment where you can grab a hold of the really important features that need to be discussed, the ones that affect and impact almost everybody's life in every case. Now, they're not like that every day and every week. But in the environment we're seeing open up in the world, every day we're hearing about more chaos, more confusion, more hatred, anger, more lawlessness, and everything has become controversial. So it's important that we learn how to focus on the things that are real and very, very important. We've got a lot of those. I don't know if you heard, but overnight there were two massive explosions in Iran There was a big, big feature going on at a cemetery where Soleimani, that general that was killed during the Trump administration, Soleimani has murdered more Americans and people from other countries they consider their foes. He's the head of the Revolutionary Guard, and they're butchers. They just indiscriminately go out and kill, and they killed an American journalist during the Trump administration. And former President Trump had warned Iran's leaders that if they hit an American and killed an American, they would pay the price. And that's exactly what happened. Drone, an American drone, took out Soleimani. There was a big celebration today marking the four-year anniversary of his death, his assassination, And in the middle of that, two massive bombs exploded. And I'm watching and have been looking closely to the news to find out if anybody's going to confirm who it was that did those things. Everybody thinks it's Israel. And you know what? It might be Israel. Israel yesterday, they knocked out Hamas's grand commander. That's one of uh, Iran's proxies. Iran doesn't want to be on the front lines. Everybody in the Middle East and other nations like us, we know, any terrorist activity that happens anywhere in the Middle East especially, you can book it. Iran is paying the bills. They're behind the scenes. And Iran's proud of that. 
They have different jihadist groups all across the world. As a matter of fact, the reason this is becoming so much more important is we now know there are hundreds, if not thousands, of Iranian terrorists that Joe Biden has opened the doors down south on our border and has just waved them on in. Now, they're terrorists. So what do terrorists do? They kill. They act out their hatred. It only took 19 of them to knock down those twin towers in 9-11. Only 19. We know there are hundreds if not thousands of Iranian terrorists that are now in the United States. We need to make sure we're clued in and paying attention. So, it probably, in my opinion, was Israel that had these two explosions. They're now saying deaths are up around 100. That's a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing. But here's the thing everybody needs to understand. Anytime you have conflict between countries, typically if they can't resolve and come up with ways to agree on their differences, they'll end up in war. And when wars happen, people die. There's no other way to explain it. Now, there are religions, and sadly, a bunch of them, far too many, that glorify killing your military opponents. That's more important than stopping the war and whatever's causing the war, whichever war you want to bring up. Israel is a democracy. It's the only democracy in the Middle East. And they're one of our top two allies. And one of the big reasons for that is they are democratic. The people in democracies are the one that makes the choices and the decisions. And in a democracy, the people are the ones that choose who their leaders are going to be, not the other way around. The other way around thing is what the far-left Democrats in the United States are wanting to flip our country to. Away from a representative republic, that's one where the people have actually total control over who's going to represent them in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and in the U.S. Congress, and the executive, chief executive of the United States, the president. We, the people, from our founding in this nation, are the ones that determine who is going to do it and what they're going to do. We are so far away from those intentions of our founders that there are millions of people, especially Gen Z and maybe a couple of other generations of Americans, that don't really understand the differences between top-down and bottom-up governing in a nation. Top-down means politicians run everything, make all the decisions, and the people just act like blind robots living their lives doing what the bosses do and what the bosses tell us to do. That's not a democracy. It's the antithesis, the exact opposite of what a democracy is. And to make our democracy even better, it's a representative republic. 
if it wasn't any pure democracy in government in any nation on the world, if it's a pure democracy, every citizen on every issue has to vote. Now think about how many laws, how many regulations are being considered, let alone being put in place to be a requirement for us. American citizens couldn't live normal lives and have to vote on every little thing. Our forefathers knew that. They wanted to make that process be streamlined while at the same time representing the majority opinions on every choice that must be made, regulations, laws, all those kinds of things. We send our representatives to D.C., to look at all of these things, propose things, uh, negotiate, come to a consensus on things, and then make them laws. It's somebody besides the people that are actually voting to make the laws. But it's still, always has been and always must be, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Now, let's segue over to a story that's front and center on that very thing right now. What happened in Colorado and what happened in Maine? In Colorado, leftist judges, a state Supreme Court there, they decided the people of Colorado should not have the right to choose who they want to vote for to be the next president. And they took it one step further. They decided who would not be the winning candidate for the presidency of the United States in 2024 would not be Donald Trump. They made his being on that ballot in their state, Colorado, not the rest of them, but just Colorado, Donald Trump wouldn't be an option for probably several hundred Colorado residents and voters to pick. That, my friends, is the antithesis, the exact opposite of democracy. And then the main Secretary of State, not the courts, not any elected person whatsoever, this person is appointed, she decided she would make the same choice for the people of her state, Maine, that Colorado, the Supreme Court, did for the citizens of Colorado. And she kicked him off the ballot. Now, obviously, there's been a bunch of litigation. It's ongoing. Now we know that the Trump, Trump, not I started to say administration, there's not one now, but the Trump folks, they appealed the, um, I think they appealed the Maine. I believe they filed their appeal yesterday with the United States Supreme Court. I may be wrong. I know they filed an appeal, but I don't know if they did an emergency appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court or if they did it in a federal court to be considered there. It's so short a time to get this ironed out. The Supreme Court's going to have to step up. They've got to make this decision. Are governments going to have the unilateral authorizations to pick who candidates will be allowed to run and candidates that won't be allowed to run in contravention of the laws of the United States of America. That's what this is. The people have that sole right. 
So I just got to know, Trump did appeal the Maine Secretary of State ruling. Former President Trump this morning formally appealed the decision by Maine's Democrat Secretary of State, who she unilaterally had no authority to do so, but she decided she did, that Trump is ineligible to be on the state's ballot. Going back to that insurrection clause in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, Trump's attorneys argue that her ruling, Shinna Bellows is her name, was the product of a process that's infected by personal bias and pervasive lack of due process. Her doing so is arbitrary, capricious, and characterized by abuse of her discretion. The attorneys also argued Secretary of State should have recused herself because of her bias against Trump. It's very public. She said it from the very beginning. She hates him. As demonstrated by a documented history of her prior statements that obviously will prejudge the issue, this one, when it gets to court. The lawyers added that Bellows denied Trump due process, and they did that by failing to give him adequate time and opportunity to even put up a defense. Here's a quote from the appeal. The secretary lacks statutory authority to hear the challenges directed to President Trump's supposed disqualification under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So Stephen Chung, you may have heard that name before, he's a long-timer in the Trump administration, is now a campaign spokesman for President Trump. He reiterated that Bellows went outside of her authority, completely ignoring the Constitution, when she summarily decided to remove Trump's name from the ballot, interfere in the election, and disenfranchise every one of the voters in Maine that will vote or want to vote for Donald Trump to be the next president. The appeal follows Bellows' controversial decision that qualified disqualified Trump from the ballot, although it's not going to be enforced until the U.S. Supreme Court weighs in. Trump's still going to be on the ballot, but got this thing hanging over his head. In the ruling, Bellows wrote, she held a hearing on the 15th of last month on three challenges to Trump's nomination. The first two, she said, contest Trump's qualification for office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The third challenge, filed by Paul Garden, contests Trump's qualification under the 26th Amendment. For the reasons set forth below, I conclude that Mr. Trump's primary petition is invalid, she wrote. Specifically, I find that the declaration on his candidate consent form is false because he's not qualified to hold the office of the president under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. She doubled down on her position during an appearance on WFEA radio. Ask about critics saying it's not Maine Secretary of State's job to decide what a Washington, D.C. insurrection is One expert said the record shows the events of January 6th was an insurrection. They were an attack not only on the Capitol, but the peaceful transfer of power. That is horse hockey. How can I say that? Due process. Now, please understand the difference between what this Secretary of State has done, what the Colorado Supreme Court has done, and 
due process under the Constitution. Due process, that's another term that says if you get involved in some kind of litigation, somebody charges you making allegations against you, the law considers you innocent unless and until a court of your peers determines you're guilty. Donald Trump's never even been charged with anything like insurrection. And this Secretary of State in the Colorado Supreme Court, they're making their decisions based on their own assumptions that Donald Trump was part of an insurrection. There's never even been charges against anybody of insurrection for the January 6th stuff. I get tired of answering questions about this over and over and over. It's real simple. The law is very simple if you come right down to it. People often say, it's just too it's just too crazy to try to figure all this stuff out. Well, be thankful that it is. We don't want anybody, any person, any small group of people to be able to determine what the law says on any specific issue. That's why one of the three fundamental branches of government in the Constitution is the judicial branch. That branch has the sole authority to execute the laws. If it's on a state level, it's the people in the judiciary in the state, that would be the courts there, have the sole authority to determine what the laws of the state say and apply that to individual circumstances that happen. On a federal level, it's the same thing with the Supreme Court pulling the final lever to determine what's constitutional and what isn't. Certainly, these two are going to be reversed, and I am adamant, I believe totally, that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to come down on the side of Donald Trump in this, and I'll be shocked if it's not a 9-0 opinion vote coming out of the Supreme Court. I don't think even the three hardcore leftist members of the Supreme Court, hardcore Democrats, I don't think any one of those three dare to come out on the other side of that because it would be an absolute positive proof that they do not support the U.S. Constitution. It's simple. In this case, there is nobody that can say Trump is guilty of an insurrection charge. He's not been charged. There's been no trial. There's been no evidence presented in any court. Now that in itself shocks me with all of the Democrat Party Trump haters in the world. I was certain somebody would put a plan together and go to whatever court they wanted to go to and actually come up with a charge, pardon my using this phrase, but a trumped up charge for insurrection and let it run its course through the court process. If anybody that is legitimately in government that has that power 
if they really thought they can make it stick, they would have already done it. They're trying to run the table and keep Trump from being able to finish his campaign and put all of this stuff that's on his head right now. I can't imagine living with that. But they don't think he can put it to the side and get elected. That's what it boils down to. Regarding Trump and litigation, I don't know if you heard about this. A federal judge yesterday dismissed three of five civil counts brought against him and his co-defendants in that January 6th case. This case, it's a civil case. It was related to the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. The lawsuit was brought by Sandra Garza, the longtime ex-girlfriend of Officer Sicknick. He died of a stroke following the January 6, 2021 breach of the U.S. Capitol during which he was pepper sprayed. The media said that he was beat with a fire extinguisher. That was the story they came up with and they ran with it for months. He wasn't. He was pepper sprayed. And they're not sure who it was. Capitol Police had pepper spray. There were people in the crowd that had pepper spray. Garza is also the representative of Mr. Sicknick's entire estate. Yesterday, U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta issued a split decision, granting in part and denying in part the motions to dismiss, filed by lawyers for Mr. Trump and two men accused of pepper spraying Sicknick. This charge was dropped against one of the men. Neither was charged criminally for the death. In total, the court dismissed one count of wrongful death two counts of negligence per se against President Trump and the two men, Julian Cater and George Tanyos, who clashed with police January 6th. Now, what does this mean? It means that Mr. Garza and his, not Mr. Garza, Officer Sicknick's representative, Garza, can proceed with a claim against Trump under the D.C. Survival Act, which allows a representative of Sicknick's estate to take legal action on his behalf after his death. The ruling also dismissed a defense made by Mr. Tanyos under the Professional Rescuers Doctrine and an immunity defense made by President Trump. What was dismissed, Judge Mehta tossed Garza's wrongful death claims due to her lack of statutory standing because she was not Officer Sicknick's spouse. Ordinarily, the Wrongful Death Act allows a spouse or a domestic partner or a person who has died to recover the financial loss they suffer as a result of that death. However, this does not apply to Ms. Garza, as she did not file a declaration of domestic partnership in D.C. or in any other jurisdiction. Judge Mehta wrote that despite being named as Mr. Sicknick's domestic partner in his will, That allegation is not sufficient to confer statutory standing under the Wrongful Death Act. I know that may seem simple, but you know what? It's the law. The law is built totally to protect innocent people. And what's called due process is this whole court thing in which evidence is presented There are put in a lot of, in fact, most every case, testimony that is more evidence to either support or negate 
the validity of the charges made against us. That's what sets America apart from every other nation's justice system. If we lose that, it'll be this in every case. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. Any controversy regarding law and law-breaking, if we lose the presumption of innocent until and unless proven guilty, you know who's going to make every decision? Whichever political group is in charge. Now, just imagine today what our nation would be like if our politicians had the sole authority to determine who is guilty and who is innocent on every allegation. You want to live in that world? (laughs) You go ahead and buy your ticket. There are plenty of them to choose from. For right now, I'm going to stick right here where I am, and I'm going to be part of fixing this process to make this go back to where it began, government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, he has Bud Light. And a chainsaw. been fact-checked by the queen (laughs) fact-checker. That would be Marianne. I committed a vernacular faux pas. In other words, 
I got some facts wrong. A fact. Trace Atkins, you heard his song, Swing Batter Batter, to open up the show today. And I said he's from Shangaloo, which is a little bitty town in northwest Louisiana. And what Marianne missed when she heard me say that he was from Shangaloo, he's really from another little bitty town about 10 miles away from Shangaloo. It's another S town. This one is Sarepta. So she fact-checked me. And uh, for those of you that are listening in today from um, Sarepta, Louisiana, I'm apologizing to you. Marianne, you're from Cotton Valley, so I'm not apologizing to you for it. And I'll probably regret saying that later on today. Hey, this mess going on up at Harvard, it is really getting more and more crazy. Leading educators call for Harvard's new president now. They've got an interim because, you know, Claudine Gay, she turned in her resignation yesterday. Now, the hardcore leftists up there are demanding that the new president be hired based on, drumroll, merit, not DEI, to prove prestigious university has not abandoned the veneer of meritocracy in the wake of Claudine Gay's exit. Now, what does that mean? Meritocracy, it's real simple. That's what the United States in its foundation, and pretty much until the last three years, has operated on meritocracy. At pretty much every level of living, if you're good at something, you're going to get the opportunity to use it for your benefit and the benefit of others. And the one that has more uh, ability to do those things are the people that get put in those positions. Instead of that, now, DEI, oh my gosh, it's, let me just dumb it down. In the DEI, which education facilities around the nation or switching over there, and it doesn't matter who's most qualified. doesn't matter who's paid the price. Everybody gets a participation trophy. And so what gets you a gig, it's not how much you know about what the gig is, and not because you've done it before and you've got a lot of experience, and that experience and you're doing it is really good and proves you're really good. That doesn't even matter anymore. That's meritocracy. Meritocracy is, well, let me start down the list. It's racist. It's homophobe. Um, It's transphobic. All of the negatives that you can come up with to call somebody who believes that you get the gig you deserve to get, they're all out the window. And now Harvard and those hardcore leftists up there are saying, hey, we're going away from this. It didn't work. Leading educators have called on Harvard to break from political correctness when hiring embattled former President Claudine Gay's replacement. Gay resigned, as many of you know, yesterday because of plagiarism accusation and criticism over testimony at a congressional hearing where she was unable to say unequivocally that calls on campus for the genocide of Jews would violate the school's conduct policy. Now, let me, this is from uh, the Daily the Daily Mail. Daily Mail is a British news outlet. I read their stuff every day because most of the time they're 
they're pretty much on the same page as most legitimate um, news agencies in the United States. And when I say legitimate, you know who I'm talking about. But sometimes they'll lean a little bit left towards Europe away from uh, red, white, and blue U.S. constitutional stuff. In this one, I think they may have gone a little bit that way. Nevertheless, reporting the news, Bill Bennett, you know that name? Bill Bennett was in first the Reagan administration, education superintendent. He's now a contributor for Fox News, really sharp conservative guy. William Bennett, who served as education secretary in Reagan's administration for almost all eight years, he said the whole debacle is an example of the final corruption of our most elite educational institutions. He went on to say this about Gay, Harvard's first black president, by the way, was brought in the first place was because of the crazy race consciousness of Harvard University. Despite her resignation, though, guess why? Because of DEI, she will continue to collect her paltry salary of $900,000 a year. Special consideration is given to race, both in the admission process and in hiring, and even in putting in their presiding officer, Bennett said. We're not getting people based on merit anymore, and it's permeating all of our society, not just education. And then historian Victor Davis Hanson said in an earlier tweet that Harvard should look beyond DEI when they find their new president. If Harvard appoints as its permanent president, another candidate on the basis of DEI without a record of substantial scholarship, intellectual probity, recognized teaching, and administrative excellence, then the university will only reinforce the now growing consensus that it, Harvard, has abandoned even the veneer of meritocracy. During an appearance on Fox News last month, Victor Davis Hanson spoke bluntly about Gay's tenure as president. She was an affirmative action hire. Now, for those of you that may not grab that, and we've got some good friends listening here every day from up in Boston and right around Boston, so they're very familiar with what's going on at Harvard. Um, She was an affirmative action hire. In other words, the principle on which she was hired is that she's pretty smart, She's African-American, and she's done pretty well in her lower-level positions. Hanson said, we've lost the tradition that in America, anybody of any class, any race or any ideology is going to be judged in the marketplace of ideas for their performance. By the way, Bill Bennett graduated from Harvard the year I graduated from high school, 1971. He went on to say he is greatly disappointed and embarrassed by why Harvard has become. It's not the Harvard that he went to. The question I always get, again, this is Bill Bennett talking, the questions I always get asked by parents is, is Harvard worth it? The answer is no. I don't think it is anymore. The luster Harvard once enjoyed is now coming off. 
Gay is the second Ivy League president to resign in the middle of this um, Israeli-Hamas war, and the people in the United States and other countries around the world are taking sides, calling and supporting a call for genocide that's killing every Jew just because they're Jewish. Now, Claudine Gay, she's African-American, she's female, and she was before Congress, along with two other similar university presidents as she at Harvard, and they were being questioned on the policies of their respective universities regarding anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is the hatred for Jewish people. You know, kind of like Adolf Hitler had when he killed six million of them. No big deal. That's a long weekend of work, right? She refused to say that anti-Semitism being pushed on their campus, her campus particularly was Harvard, is anti-Semitic. She wouldn't say that. Well, by default, what that's saying is, hey, it's I'm okay with you going ahead and pushing to kill every Jew. How do you think she'd feel if people at Harvard went all up in arms and wanted to be able to uh, kill her just because she's African-American? That's preposterous, isn't it? But that's what's going on. This is Harvard University. We expect the greatest coming out of that university and these other Ivy League universities. But when they when they reconcile everything they do based upon social ideology rather than legal ideology and making legal ideology be the overriding reason for doing anything in that university when it becomes personal opinion instead of what the law says. I'm sorry, you can't kill a Jew. And you certainly can't kill a Jew just because they're Jewish. Claudia Gay thinks it would be okay for somebody to hate her just because she's black. Absolutely not. I'm sick and tired of hearing all this stuff. Oh, and by the way, they had to appoint an interim president, Harvard University, because she resigned yesterday. Uh, he's a white guy. Uh-oh. <laughs> the obviously worst choice for any real intellectual university to bring in to head that university at this time. Adding to the outrage of many of these sycophants that totally despise anybody that disagrees with them, She's being replaced by a white guy. Alan Garber. Alan Garber, G-A-R-B-E-R. He was confirmed. He is a doctor, by the way, and an economist. He's going to replace Gay while the search for a new president begins. We are fortunate to have someone of Alan's broad and deep experience, incisive judgment, collaborative style, and extraordinary institutional knowledge to carry forward key priorities and to guide the university through this interim period. The search will begin in due course and will include broad engagement and consultation with the Harvard community in the time ahead. In the eyes of the radical left, folks, the best qualified person for the job should be set aside 
to ensure that another black woman is named president of the prestigious Ivy League school, given how cowardly academia is, that is a strong possibility. Chew on that one for a little bit. Gay's departure stings all the more, considering she was Harvard's first black leader and that she served the shortest tenure in Harvard's history. Garber, uh-oh, this makes it even worse. Garber was raised by a Jewish family, said back in November that he regretted the school's initial statement on the Israeli-Hamas war that fell to denounce Hamas following its attack and slaughter of 1,200 Israelis. And they did so because they're Jews. Our goal, he said, again, this is the interim president. Our goal is to ensure that our community is safe, secure, and feels well-supported. And that first statement did not succeed in that regard. He's speaking to the school paper. Calling the anti-Semitism on campus the most serious crisis he has seen since he joined Harvard, Garber said, in my view, none has been as serious for the university as this one. And I'm even including COVID in that. The community was immediately divided, as you can expect, and that is not true of every crisis that we face, he said, talking about the Israel-Hamas conflict. It is a combustible situation, and one in which many people are grieving. Now, the race hustlers, oh, but they've gone crazy. They're out in force since Gay yielded to the growing repertoire of fraud against her. Keep in mind, she's going to retain her $900,000 salary. President Gay's resignation is about more than a person or a single incident. This is an attack on every black woman in this country who's put a crack in the glass ceiling. Guess who said that? Al Sharpton. Here's a quick sampling of uh, some responses from other race pimps. These are from Twit. Twitters. Did you catch that? <laughs> Race baiters. Twits on Twitter. This one, I like this. This isn't about plagiarism or anti-Semitism. This is about racism and intimidation. This makes no one safer. The only winners are fascists who bullied a brilliant and historic black woman into resignation. 2024 will be a battle for truth, democracy, and our shared humanity. That came from Representative Jamal Bowman. He's the newest member of the squad in Congress. Let's be real. This is an extension of what happened to me at University of North Carolina, and it's a glimpse into the future to come. Academic freedom is under attack. Racial justice programs are under attack. Black women will be made to pay. Our so-called allies too often lack any real courage. That's from Ida Bay Wells. Here's another one. Harvard ex-president Claudine Gay has been replaced by a white Zionist man. I thought we were Harvard University and we're, we're beyond calling each other names. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? 
I thought we were trying, African-American people, in conjunction with their white counterparts, we're trying and have been for more than 150 years to do away with picking people for anything just because of their skin color or their ethnicity. In fact, they've been demanding that we all do that, even if we were already doing it. If we don't choose them for whatever it is that they want, it's got to be. Their default is, it's race, it's race. So what do they recommend that we do? In this case, they recommend that we get a new president at Harvard because of skin color. You know what that really is? It's an effort, or a so-called effort, but call it an effort. It's an effort to do away with racism. And the only tool in the world that can possibly be effective to do that is racism. Let me get this straight. So you're suffering through racism and you want to end it? And the tool, the sole tool you pick out to end racism is to use racism against those you're calling racist? You know what that is? It's not racism. It's stupidity. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, Forgive us for never washing our hands, ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. <laughs> it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200 mile per hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. 
We're going to switch gears in just a couple of minutes and get away from this uh, DEI, this racism, fixing racism, people of color, people of gender, uh, whatever they want to call gender, gender identity, which it's really not. We're actually going to hear a little bit of that in a second, but there's something that uh, came to us this morning from down under. Australian researchers are demanding the country's top medical data collection body. Now, we're not talking about doctors. We're talking about just simply top, Australia's top medical data collection body delivering. These researchers are demanding that this data institution delivers clarity concerning the assault on truth that are brought by their adherents to gender ideology. Why would they do that? How dare they do that? Well, because it's quite literally hurting people. There's a magazine, news magazine, called The Age, A-G-E. It's an Australian publication. It has reported that a group of 120 medical professionals sent a letter to the National Health and Medical Research Council warning this, quote, that blurring the lines between biological sex and gender identity, blurring that identity on medical forms and in research, threatens their ability to collect accurate data. And by the way, it can lead to very serious medical errors. What do you mean? When we think of medical errors involving transgender people, which, by the way, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to tell you the truth. There's no such thing as transgender people. You can't change your sex, no matter what you call it, no matter what justification you come up with, unless and until you come up with a way to change your DNA, you can't change your sex. So, When we think of medical errors talking about transgenders, issues from sex change operations are typically the first thing that comes to mind. Why? Because we know surgery is a dangerous game, even without added complexities of, you know, removing breaths or creating fake anatomy out of healthy internal tissues. But hardly any thought has gone into what happens when people choose their gender or alter their bodies in a way that forces doctors to believe they are the opposite sex from which they were born. Now, stay with me. Bad ideas, bad ideas lead to what? Bad outcomes. Their records said they were male, but they were in labor in the hospital. They had a prolapsed umbilical cord but there was a delay while doctors worked out what was going on, and by the time they found it, the baby had died. That's from Stephanie Bastian. These medical pros are sounding the alarm, and it's time. I knew it would happen eventually, but people have died in the interim, and there probably are more people that are caught up in it and don't know what to do because they can't talk about it. And so now the medical professionals, the doctors are sounding the alarm that surviving the barbarism of transgender surgeries, it's not the only worry these patients have. Now it's routine medical care is impacted. Why? 
the left forces the medical community to play the preferred pronoun game. Give me an example. Okay, here's one. A Michigan woman's baby died in utero after she presented as a male to the emergency room, complaining of abdominal pain and high blood pressure. Well, the hospital's intake nurse proceeded to treat this woman as if she were born a man, leading doctors to test her for causes related to male abdominal pain and high blood pressure. That's what they're supposed to do. Follow the signs, right? Now, this is at the hospital. These are pros. It wasn't until hours later that a doctor performed a physical exam and whoa, 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 suddenly realized the man was in labor and was suffering from pregnancy complications, including cord prolapse of uncertain duration. By this time, the woman's baby had no heartbeat, and she had to undergo herself an emergency delivery of her stillborn baby. What caused that? Gender identity. Instead of gender verification. Even though the woman lost her baby because the hospital apparently adhered to the left's gender ideology, the medical journal referred this woman by male pronouns throughout the study. It was more important to get the correct pronouns. Think about that than to save a life. How many times do you think this has happened? It's the first time I've ever heard of it happening. I guarantee it's happened thousands, if not millions of times, and it's only going to get worse as long as we walk under this charade called transgenderism. Another example. Talked about a separate case. A woman who suffered life-threatening injuries during a car accident was intubated with an endotracheal tube meant for men. I know you know that, but uh, upper respiratory basis for men is different from women. The process of forcing that large tube into the woman's trachea, it caused severe damage and required multiple surgeries to fix. Again, despite the brutal realities of using preferred gender to determine sex in medical care, the Royal Children's Hospital Gender Clinic co-head, Tram Wynn, argued transgender patients might, quote, experience discrimination if they're required to disclose their biological sex during medical examination. Wynn said the policy shows a lack of cultural safety. Come on now. Man, you're a doctor, and you're putting the life of your patient and maybe a baby ahead of just somebody to make them feel warm and fuzzy, have a different name, because they decided to think they're of another sex when they're not. Conservatives from the beginning have warned this would happen. On this show... Two different doctors at the beginning of the COVID insanity talked about this as being an inevitability because we had already gone way down the transgender road and it was only going to get worse and people were going to die because of gender affirmation. When society allows confusion to be the guidelines of culture, pain and suffering, they're going to follow. And it's going to make things worse than it was. 
It's easy to mock progressives when they remove the term woman or female for bodies with vaginas and birthing people. But we can't lose sight of reality, folks. Regardless of their confusion, they deserve human dignity, something not being offered to them by progressives. Outside of the degrading way the medical folks are erasing female wording from language, this creates a scary reality. It puts mentally ill women at risk for medical complications, more medical complications, when it all could have been very easily avoided. If the stories of infertility and chronic pain spoken about by detransitioners have taught us anything, it's that we should be fighting for truth, period. Especially, and especially now that we know, when it comes to medicine, medicine, both patients and the medical staff at every level, they've got to know what they're dealing with. Forget about what you want to call yourself or what you think you are. Biology, folks, accept it or not, biology is biology. And that means sex is sex. And you can't change it. There'll be people that will begin to tell us, we've figured out a way. We can make somebody's chromosomes be opposite. I just cannot believe we've come to this and people are dying and there's a whole section of our populace, a whole section that thinks, hey, it's worth the battle. It's worth losing a few people to win. You don't win when you lie all the time and sometimes it's happening. People are dying because of that. Well, Tucker Carlson's back in the news today. Dave Rubin, Dave Rubin, a uh, podcaster. And let me just say this. I'm, I'm going to shock some of you. Dave Rubin is gay. In fact, he's married and he and his partner uh, have a couple of kids. But he is still into the realities of politics. He's like many people in this business that I'm in. I don't agree with him on everything. But on most things... He comes up with some good ideas and wisdom. He weighed in on a big controversy in conservative land right now, and it's between Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson. Now, both of those guys are very conservative, very, very conservative, and they are very vocal and very well thought of. You know why? Because they stick to facts. There is a little bit of uh, problems going on between the pair. Dave Rubin weighed in on that. I'm going to ever so softly call out Tucker with the hopes of, of bringing a, a little healing to this thing. But here is Tucker going after uh, Ben Shapiro. This is just a couple days ago. I did think it showed like the level of not just corruption, which I knew, but of like emotional instability and craziness. I mean, there are people, and I stopped reading any of it, but there are people on the right who have spent the last two months every single day focused on a conflict in a foreign country as our own country becomes dangerously unstable on the brink of financial collapse with tens of millions of people who shouldn't be here in the country. We don't know their identities or the purpose of their being here. Like stuff that could destroy the country for real and make it impossible for my kids to live here. 
They've said nothing about that, and they're focused with laser intensity on foreign conflicts. And I'm like, at some point, I've got four kids. If I'm so caught up in the problems of my neighbor's children and completely ignoring my own children as they get addicted to drugs and kill themselves, you know, I'm not against helping my neighbor's kids, but clearly I don't love my kids. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the only logical conclusion, and they don't care about the country at all. And that's, you know, that's kind of their prerogative, but I do because I have no choice because I'm from here. My family's been here hundreds of years. I plan to stay here. Like, I, I'm shocked by how little they care about the country, and including the person you mentioned. And I, I can't imagine how someone like that could get an audience of people who claim to about, care about America because he doesn't, obviously, right? Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That is just a seriously low IQ take and and really low hanging fruit and dishonest by Tucker. So Tucker, if you're watching this and maybe I'll send you this video myself, I'll text it to you. Uh, you you got to do a little bit better than that. The idea that Ben Shapiro does not care about America, nor has been like basically the number one conservative voice in alt media for the last decade basically is crazy. Yes, Ben has spent an awful lot of time over the last three months talking about Israel, and many people have. By the way, Tucker, Mr. America First Tucker, um, there are American hostages still. Americans were killed, and there still are American hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza right now. Should Americans not care about that? Also, as I have said many times, you should be able to walk and chew gum. What have I done on this show for the last three months? Have I talked about what's going on in Israel an awful lot? Of course. But every single day, do I talk about the border? Do I talk about the fentanyl? Do I talk about immigration and the drugs and all of the stuff that's happening? And I have no doubt that Ben is doing that too. So I think in a, in a very cynical, cynical move there, unfortunately, what Tucker is trying to do is he's going, Ben is my competition now. I'm building out the Tucker Carlson network. Who, are, who is our competition? Well, Fox is our competition and the Daily Wire is our competition and say the Blaze is our competition and I'm gonna go out and and take out Ben and it's just not right and it's not good. And I would say beyond anything else, beyond anything else, we have a much bigger problem. It is the problem that I've spent the first 52 minutes of this show talking about. And if we're gonna make this about a personal beef or because we have our own business decisions that are that we're, are gonna take precedence over the importance of the country, then we are effed already beyond imagination. That's exactly where we will be. You know, everybody is gonna have some um, thoughtful differences with a bunch of other people. We build our opinions based upon our circumstances and things that we and others that we're close to have been going through. I get that. Dave Rubin, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that dismiss 90% or more of what he says because he's gay and he's a party to same-sex marriage. I get that. But the content of our heart is not determined by somebody else looking and drawing an opinion without knowing our whole stories. And so you're never going to convince me that homosexuality is right, is good. But it's choices that people make, and often, sadly too often, people make wrong choices. And there's no section of society that is exempt from that being a possibility. Where we lose it 
is when we declare that we, for some reason, have the unilateral right to determine what other people should think about everything. That is not factually acceptable. Well, there are some people that will accept it, case in point. There were a lot of people around the world, not just in Germany, that thought Hitler was a hero because he was slaughtering those horrible Jews. Well, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks is factually okay. That doesn't make it factually okay. And when you have two very high, very involved conservatives in conservatism America, Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, I'm sure you've seen and heard them both, between the two of them, they probably collectively demand, along with with Sean Hannity, probably the biggest listeners, more listeners and viewers than all other conservatives put together. And so when there's disagreement there, one would think, because of what true conservatism is, that these people, though they will not agree with each other on everything, they get together and find some consensus for the betterment of people that are like-minded, especially in the United States today, when there are so many moving parts, even within the conservative atmosphere and then those in the progressive atmosphere. There's one thing you and I as conservatives have got to admit. We're not nearly as proficient as our counterparts are at finding consensus on different ideologies. I'm talking about leftists compared to conservatives. They seem to, they love to create. They're the ones that created the mob rule thing. And it doesn't matter if they're all on the same page. They're not doing it just because what they're agreeing on is the right thing to do or the right thing to agree on. It's because the mob rules. And if mobsters are willing to put down their differences and just sign on to anything and everything that everybody else is doing, that doesn't necessarily make it the right way. But still, even on that side of the political aisle, they've got to find a way to get together on the consensus things that they agree on rather than using the differences to beat each other up every day, that doesn't do anybody any good except to expose people can't get together. Now, the world has existed for a long, long time. And somehow, most of the time, people that have political differences, ideological differences, they find a way to at least coexist. And if and when we start saying, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to work with somebody because they think so much differently than me, that's going to happen. I know it is. But you don't have to kill the other person just for that. And sadly, there's no sector of our society that has any unilateral ability to work beyond that. Facts are there. It takes bowing a knee and finding out the right way to deal with others and then to do it in every case. Sometimes, sadly, 
you're never going to be able to agree with somebody else because they are not willing to figure out any kind of consensus just to get together and work things out. That's going to happen. I don't like it. I hate it. I have people in my life today that I have tried for decades, some cases, to find ways to get along, even in spite of our differences, and they refuse to try to do it. It's their way or the highway. If you live in that land, you're going to have a sad existence for a big part of your life. And here's what's the worst part of that. Typically, at some point, at the end of that life, people look back and say, you know what? I should have moved along with this and found ways to get along with these people. My life would have been a lot better. Well, here we are. January, golly, a brand new year. Last year just went by quickly, quickly. And of course, there were a lot of things that were going along with the quickly, quickly stuff I think you'll agree with. But this next story we have, you are maybe going to chuckle a little bit about it. We're going to talk about some university courses around the nation. These are actually universities And these courses we're going to talk about in a second, just name a few, are real. They're actually there. We're going to get into the details. Courses name things like Queering God and How to Be a Bitch. (laughs) I have people, and I'm not going to name names. I have people that have PhDs on multiple levels about how to be a bitch. (laughs) Oh, we're going to detail this. We need to take a pause and chuckle a little bit, don't we? That's next. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Yeah, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... What? What did I say? Gecko. I said gecko. Oh. For over 75 years. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. For over 70. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's Quality Guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. 
And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Well, that's a good song. Keep on using me. Use me is the name of the song. Bill Withers, one of my all-time music heroes. He's a great guy. He was. I was able to see him in concert one time in college. And it was at Louisiana Tech, the university that I went to. You've heard of Grambling University, all-black university, predominantly black. Louisiana Tech and their campus with Grambling's is four miles away from each other. This was back in the 70s, um, mid-70s, and racism was abundant. So you have this African music giant, Bill Withers, comes to Louisiana Tech and does a concert. So many Grambling students, four miles away, remember, they came to hear Bill Withers. And there were all kinds of catcalls during the show. It was a great show. And Bill Withers had a famous music group behind them, um, the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm and Blues Band. They were really, really good. African-American, Bill Withers, African-American. And so these Grambling students, and remember we're talking about collegiate intellectuals, even back then. All the catcalls, they were digging Bill Withers He was up on stage. They were talking bad about some of the members of that band, 103rd Watts Rhythm, 103rd Watts Street Rhythm and Blues Band. And finally, Bill Withers had had enough, and he stopped the show, and he looked out at the big section of uh, the Assembly Center at Louisiana Tech, and he called them out. Now, this is a black guy calling out black, so he could do that. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to use the whole word, but I'm going to use the letter to describe what he said. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said, listen here, you in words. You don't understand something that you need to understand. Just because you go to a college doesn't make you superior to anybody else. And he waved his hand back at the band and he said, any one of these guys up here playing in this band that you're catcalling, every one of them will make more money in their lifetimes than you all will make collectively in yours. You need to respect other people, and skin color doesn't make somebody who they are. I was already a Bill Withers fan, but that made sense to me. And it wouldn't have mattered if it was white people calling out other white people or even white people calling out black people, of course, that would automatically fall on racism, right? But here's a black man, and he didn't come from a rich family background. He worked his way up through playing good music and writing good songs. Remember that great song he had before, Ain't No Sunshine? That was a great song. All of his stuff was. And he had, if anybody did it, he had the right to brag, but he didn't do it. And he made sure everybody in the house knew nobody on that stage was given anything because of their skin color. It's because they worked hard and got to where they are by doing that. Back to the college and university offerings for school. Universities offered students in the U.S. during the last school year 
an opportunity to enroll in a bunch of courses that you know what I'm going to say. They push gender ideology and left-wing activism. Examples. Princeton University offered a class titled, and this is a quote, Black plus queer in leather equals black leather slash BDSM material culture. BDSM. I don't know what that means, but I would assume, let's see, BDSM material culture, sadomasochism, I think, is what the SM stands for. The class will survey black BDSM culture via research available in libraries and individuals involved in the groups that participate in this culture. We will consider the fragility of archival engagement with these communities. We're going to do it by surveying existing BDSM archives in research libraries, community groups, and individuals in their personal ephemera. That's the description for that class. Princeton made headlines in 2022 following the addition of this course to their catalog as well as this one. Fat, the F word in the public body. And another one, anthropology of religion, fetishism, and decolonization. Now remember this, tuition at Princeton costs more than $59,000 a year and can cost more than $76,000 if you throw in housing and food costs. Now, this is from the Princeton University website. Westminster College offers a course titled, How to Be a Bitch. Students are encouraged to unpack the words bitch and bossy, which are interesting but problematic. (laughs) You think? One course offered at Wesleyan University titled Queer Russia, Queer Russia, offers students an overview of the influence of queer people on Russian culture. That's according to the university's 2023-2024 course catalog. The course focuses on gender and sexuality and exploring an alternative cultural history of Russia, which highlights its queer legacy from the 19th century to the present. And the university offered another class titled Bad Sex, which debates the value of sex and questions if modesty and sexual relations is a worthwhile pursuit. What is it about casual encounters and hookup culture that so disturbs Why is sex a magnet for anxieties about selfishness and irresponsibility? Why do we think of anonymity and intimacy in sex as mutually exclusive? That's from the course description. Now, I can answer all those questions. I think you can too. Wesleyan announced it would cover abortion-related cost and emergency contraception for students in the fall 2023 semester, the university charges more than sixty-six grand a year for tuition, twenty thousand for housing. Occidental College in California offers a course titled "Black Queer Thought." That's in the twenty twenty-three twenty-four course catalog. This course critiques the demand of heteronormativity, white supremacy, patriarchy, 
and capitalism. Now, do you think these courses are out there to point to the virtues of all of these things they're asking these questions about? I didn't even know heteronormal uh, normal, uh, normativity <laughs> is a thing. This course also explores how the cultural producers in question complicate and elaborate upon the sometimes static and often U.S.-centered definitions that we hold for black and queer. That's according to the course's description. And then up in Oregon, the Southern University of Oregon, SOU, offered a class titled Decolonizing Transgender. Decolonizing Transgender. The course examines the development of the word transgender across social, cultural, historical, legal, medical, and political context. It can be taken as part of the university's Certificate in Transgender Studies. They have a whole department. University of Chicago offered a course titled Queering God that questions if God is queer and what queerness has to do with the concept of God. What does queerness have to do with Judaism, Christianity, or Islam? The course description reads, The university made headlines for its Queering God class in July. We published a story about it at truthnewsnet.org. It's a really good story. You could go back and look in the index and do the search. Queering God. The school also offered a class titled The Problem of Whiteness initially in December of 2022, but they later moved the course to the spring of 2023 semester after backlash to the course. Another one, Unsettling Whiteness, was offered by Northwestern University. In this school year, the course seeks to make the historical, political, and cultural formation of whiteness in Western modernity visible for analysis. Students at Northwestern hosted a speaker in April that accused Jews of eating the organs of Palestinians. You really think that? Is that ever been considered to be a thing? Now, how much are the parents of these students paying for that class? It starts at sixty-five grand, and nearly ninety-two thousand with all expenses, including books, fees, room, and board. Davidson College—they offer a course titled "Latinx Sexual Dissidents and Guerrilla Translation." (laughs) I, I just can't fathom this stuff. You know what this course is about? That title again: Latinx sexual dissidents, and guerrilla translation. This class seeks to mix feminist, queer, body positivity, and leftist activism all into one class. I I think you could actually teach the whole course in about one hour in total. What do I know? Students will study the rhetorics and the aesthetic strategies of feminist and queer activist collectives focused on social issues like immigration, transgender rights, anti-racism, economic equality, anti-speciesism, body positivity, 
and prison abolition with a pro-pleasure leftist perspective. (laughs) Who comes up with this filth? It means absolutely nothing in the context of being an American and creating a life in which you can be most successful in the things that are important to you. But to talk about, in one course, queer guerrillaism? <laughs> Who cares? And somebody that cares, what, what, what could that possibly qualify them to do with their lives? Maybe something like, I don't know, be the president of uh, Harvard University, maybe. Just saying. Just saying. Here's another big thing going on right now. This one is important. It's not funny. Domestic terrorism. Now, we used to allocate that, keep it to be very specific. Terrorism we all know about. Worldwide, we see it overseas more more often. Thank God, more often than we see it here. But it's becoming a thing in the United States. Islamic extremism is taking root here in the United States, and I hate to even mention that because it can be really, really ugly. Could you imagine? Let me tell you, I think I told some of you about this years ago. I Somebody sent me, when we were still involved in Iraq, somebody sent me a video with no explanation, and the video starts, and it's a close-up picture. It's, I guess, in downtown and you could tell very quickly this was someplace over in the Middle East but it was downtown area and people were walking along sidewalks and there was a lady dressed in the garb the Islamist guard walking down one sidewalk and a really big guy in the full Islamist garb face covered had a big sword on his hip and he walked up behind the woman And he grabbed her and turned her around and she started immediately crying. And he was talking to her very loudly in their language and she was crying and all of a sudden a crowd began to build. And about 30 seconds later, he grabbed her, pushed her to her knees, took that sword and beheaded her. She was allegedly someone that had had sex with some man that wasn't her husband. I don't care if that is normalized in the world of Islam. I don't. I don't believe in murder of any kind. I don't believe anybody should be able to take the life of others. Now, you want to get into a conversation about the death penalty. We can talk about that in a separate conversation. This, my friends, is domestic extremism by any definition. Are we headed that way? Man, I sure hope not. With me now, retired Brigadier General Anthony Tata. The general served in the U.S. Army for 28 years. He's a former Undersecretary of Defense. Isn't it time to arrest and shut down these pro-Palestinian demonstrators? Because they're acting, they're they're domestic terrorists. Watch what they did over the weekend. They tried to shut down JFK Airport. They launched a large balloon in the path of planes landing and taking off. Why not arrest them and shut them down before someone gets killed? They're domestic terrorists. 
Yeah, I consider this a terrorist attack. If you're trying to disrupt the uh, flight path, uh, that takeoff and landing, uh, that's, you know, two, three hundred uh, souls on board every one of those airplanes. Uh, those are attacks on, on uh, civilian targets. And, and absolutely, they should be arrested and they should be uh, you know, tried and, and uh, hopefully convicted. Uh, but right now, you know, we've got all these Soros-funded DAs that are soft on crime. And, and you know, this Islamic extremism that has taken root in this country is a real threat to our national security. Okay, we got, let's move on to this, because we're going to take, take the viewer now to what's happening in the Mideast. Oil prices were ricocheting around today. Uh, they were moving bungee cording up and then down. Iran dispatches a warship to the Red Sea after the U.S. sank three Iranian-backed Houthi rebel boats in the Red Sea. At least 10 Houthi fighters are killed. Uh, Iran is announcing that it sent the Al Bors destroyer through the strategic Bab al-Mendeb Strait. So what do you make of this action? I mean, is the Biden White House handling Iran in the best way possible? No, absolutely not. It's just the opposite, Liz. Uh, they're coddling Iran. They've got a, a strategy of appeasement. Meanwhile, they're pretending to fight all these uh, Shia militia groups, whether it's Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, the Shia militia groups in Syria, Iraq, and the Houthi rebels. Uh, they are engaging them with this joint task force in the sea, but they aren't deterring. They aren't uh, engaging uh, Iran in any way diplomatically, financially, economically, uh, or, or militarily. And so Iran's pushing the ship out there. kind of called the bluff of the United States uh, because then it's sort of mono mano right? U U.S. Navy with this joint task force against uh, a single Iranian ship. What do you do? Uh, what what uh, it's a pro probing attack there. It's provocative what Iran is trying to do, call the bluff of the administration. Yeah. So, you know, the, you've said that the administration continues to coddle Iran while our troops battle what Iran is doing. I mean, our Navy ship captains are being fired upon by the Houthis with Iranian-made and trained mm -hmm. anti-ship missiles. But they don't have the authority to shoot back at the shooters themselves, only to shoot down the missiles. Michael Waltz, the congressman, says this is like telling a cop who's being shot at, you can only dodge the bullets. You, can't, you, you, can't, you can dodge the bullets, you can swat down the bullets, but you can't stop this problem. Final word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a Sun Tzu saying, if you defend everywhere, you defend nowhere. And we're defending everywhere. They we're not attacking anybody. And, and we've got to deter Iran. That's our job number one right now. Okay, General Tata, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Come back soon. Thank you, Liz. Now, let me put in context what I played this for, for you. Just because we let you hear a story specific or... One of these sound bites, an interview, for instance, doesn't mean we come down on one side or the other of these things that you hear. They're important for you to know about and consider for yourself. I personally believe we are getting held up, actually held hostage by Islamist extremism. Not because there are a bunch of Islamic extremists that walk amongst us, although we know there are many that have come across our southern border. We've caught over a couple of hundred of them. But simply because people are out there. They're not here to come over here and have a good American steak or barbecue and drink a good American beer. That's not why they're here. They have been raised as Islamists, 
jihadist. What's the difference? You can be Islamic without being a jihadist. Jihad means you either convert the infidel. What's an infidel by their language? If you're not an Islamist, an extremist Islamist that runs your life totally by their Bible, the Quran, if they talk to you and can't convert you to Islam, you're an infidel if you're not already a Muslim. But if they can't convert you, you're considered to be and should be killed. That, my friends, is an extremist. But we need to understand that philosophy when it's shared by people who have been sporadically given the truth and a bunch of drivel that somebody has labeled the truth, especially to these mushhead young people in America that have fiend, uh, they, they, their minds and their brains have been filled with all kinds of stupid and crazy, unbelievable things. And I'm saying that because that's my opinion. Just because I think these things they're being taught is mush and isn't any good doesn't make it necessarily not good because of me, but common sense doesn't prevail in these things. And we talk about already today, we've talked about transgenderism and what it has cost. It's cost lives. The mainstream media and those that are out there selling that form of life, they don't care what you think. There is somebody that's listening to what they're saying And sadly, some of those people sign off on that. And that means some of them are going to get caught up in it and they're going to lose their lives, their freedoms, their abilities and opportunities just because of believing that stuff. Jihadists in the United States are a serious matter. I keep saying this to remind you of this. 19 of those people took down the Twin Towers in Washington, D.C., excuse me, in New York City on 9-11. That's a pretty extreme position for somebody to take, to give their life. At the same time, they took out the lives of every person that was on those planes and 3,000 Americans on the ground. That is extreme. I'm not saying we need to go out and grab people and throw them in prison. I'm just saying we need to be careful. Freedom Justice and liberty is a process. It's a process. We have to be diligent in making sure we're walking according to the tenets of our country and our Constitution and the rule of law, federal law as well as state law, and make sure we know what needs to be known to make sure we're in the right place at all times. I just thought it was important to get that in today. By the way, every day it appears more and more that Hunter Biden, his latest indictments involve a bunch of Joe Biden's administration people. Hunter Biden's new indictment for nine tax crimes is being connected to people close to his father. Our next guest got the scoop for this exclusive story. Josh Boswell is a senior reporter for DailyMail.com. Josh, it's good to have you with us. In this 56-page indictment against Hunter Biden, he is named, other people are referred to, but not by name. 
A Daily Mail investigation divined who these people are, though. How did you find out who they were and who indeed are they? So this was really a case of um, piecing together from uh, Hunter Biden's laptop files, um, looking at emails, text messages, documents on there, and then also some of the reports and the documents that have been released by these congressional investigations that are going on into the Biden family. Once you put all of that together, it becomes very clear who each of these unnamed people are. And really, the picture that emerges is a bunch of people who are very close to Joe Biden. Um, so for a start, you've got Jim Biden, his brother, um, is, is just named as business associate three in the indictment, but it's, you know, it's his brother. Mm -hmm. You've got two major donors to Joe. You've got a family friend. And um, you've also got someone who, was, uh, someone who was helping Joe with his taxes throughout his vice presidency. So um, the picture you get really is, uh, you know, yes, this is an indictment of Hunter Biden, but there are a lot of close links to Joe here, and it raises the prospect that you may have Joe's name being invoked in the criminal case if that goes to trial. All right. So to that point, you've got James Biden. I believe the tax advisor is Eric Schwerin, who was also a business partner of Hunter Biden, the two major donors and a family friend whose wife worked for the first lady. So far, though, no evidence of wrongdoing on Joe Biden's part. Is, is that because, Josh, there isn't any evidence of that or there is, but it just hasn't been uncovered? There is no smoking gun yet that incontrovertibly proves that uh, Joe Biden was receiving money from some of these allegedly corrupt business deals that his son was doing. But there is a lot of evidence that points towards that potential conclusion, right? You've got, um, for example, that bombshell email from one of mm -hmm. Hunter's business partners saying 10% for the big guy, you know, which is named as Joe. You've got text messages from a business associate saying, oh, uh, the, you know, the big guy, the chairman, my chairman is, is Joe Biden. Biden, but just don't don't say that when you're you know talking on text with Hunter. Um, it, lots of things like that that point towards Joe being involved. One of the stories that um, I broke recently was about um, the company used to funnel money from this Chinese deal that Hunter did through to Hunter and and uh, Joe's brother Jim. That company, its agent was actually Joe's power of attorney, Mel Monzak. Mm. So, right. you know, the more we dig into this, the more we see links to Joe Biden. And I think, you know, through what's happening in Congress now, through the potential impeachment proceedings, I think we may find that evidence. And, and the more that comes to light as well, the more it seems what Joe Biden was saying about this in terms of his family never having any business connections or making money off of China would, would seem to be untrue. It's a fascinating read. Uh, a good piece of journalistic sleuthing as well. Josh Boswell from the DailyMail.com. Good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. We look forward to your next article. Sorry about that. It's always good to get the facts about controversial things. And I like to hear from people like that that keep us, keep us right in the middle of where we are. No Right now, there is circumstantial evidence that Joe Biden was a recipient of foreign money in direct contravention to what his son has said and what he has said over and over again. Now, remember, in a court of law, court of law is different than an impeachment process. Impeachment is not a legal action. It's a political action. So, circumstantial evidence has convicted a lot of people. That means evidence that, well, there's nothing out there. There's no, as this gentleman said, no smoking gun. But there's this, 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 and this. And because of those put in context all together, 
a reasonable person should assume that there was there there. That's where we are here, but that's not what's going to be a death nail, an impeachment of Joe Biden or anybody. It's going to take hardcore evidence. I couldn't get away from what I'm about to tell you now. This one you're going to love. The Brits, yep, Brits are among the more aggressive societies today when it comes to policing social media activity. Still, though, law enforcement is taking that to another level in a case that involves, listen to this, virtual rape. Police are investigating the very first case of rape in the metaverse after a child was attacked in a virtual reality video game. The girl, who we're told is under age 16, is said to have been left distraught after her avatar, her digital character, was gang-raped by the online strangers. Bear in mind, there was no physical attack and that the headset-wearing victim did not suffer any injuries. And what the Daily Mail believes to be the first time a virtual sexual offense has been investigated in the UK, police are saying the young girl suffered the same psychological and emotional trauma as someone who has been physically raped when several adult males virtually attacked her in an online meeting room, online meeting room. Law enforcement is seeking legislation to better address what the newspaper described as a wave of sexual offending in the virtual realm of the metaverse. Police leaders are now calling for legislation to tackle a wave of sexual offending in such a sphere, saying officers' tactics must evolve to stop perverts using new technology to exploit children. This child experienced psychological trauma similar to that of someone who has been physically raped. There is an emotional and psychological impact on the victim that is longer term than any physical injuries. That's from a senior official. It poses a number of challenges for law enforcement given current legislation is not set up for that. It's like we don't have anything else to be concerned with now. Let's go start working on real, legal, and illegal actions that don't really happen, but it kind of looks similar to it, and we can't allow that to happen. Can you imagine if we're going to go down that road, what we're going to be looking at? Like we don't have enough reality to deal with. Oh my gosh, who's got time, extra time, spare time to obsess about this kind of stuff? I sure don't. Hey guys, thank you for being here. We're going to finish the week together. You have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time at TNN Live.